Hello, friends, and welcome to There's No People Like Show People, the podcast that connects and reconnects the theater community, inspires hope, and strives to help people not feel so alone. I am your host, Sarah Philobom. Hello, friends. We are thrilled to be back. Whether it's your first time listening to our podcast or you've listened to every single episode, we are so glad that you're here. There are so many ways to support There's No People Like Show People. If you like what you hear, please give us a five-star rating and leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. This really helps us out. Follow us on Instagram at There's No People Like Show People and check out our sister podcast called Transformation, the Untold Stories of Motherhood at Transformation Motherhood Pod. Thank you so much for listening and for your continued support. Honest storytelling is truly transformative and what we need most in the world is community and connection. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Oh, hello, friends. Isn't life just like eight million gazillion quadrillion things happening all at the same time? You know, I recently just watched that movie, Everything, Everywhere, Everywhere, Everyone, Everything, All at Once, whatever it's called. And um, it was so confusing to me. I was like, what is going on here? And then by the very end, I was like, oh, this is my life. This is very relatable to me. Who's relatable? The The whole thing, you're like, what's happening, you know? And then you're like, you're sobbing and you're like, I get it. It's relatable. Um, But here we are. We are here. Our guest tonight, um, I'm so thrilled and excited. We've been meaning to record this episode for, I don't even know, six months, nine months, 12 months. We just spent the last hour catching up because let me tell you, we did a whole summer stock season full of like 27 different musicals seven years ago. So we had seven years of life to catch up with each other. And I was recently stalking him on Facebook and I um, noticed that he changed his cover photo to have a great inspirational quote. And I will read it for you right now. Success is stumbling from failure to failure with no loss of enthusiasm. Tonight, friends, we have an actor, a director, a choreographer, and a magical puppeteer, and just a lovely, lovely human. Welcome to the podcast, Clint Rumsko. Hello, hello. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm already goodness. laughing. Like you said, we just spent the, the past hour catching up, which was amazing and well, definitely needed. Yes, yes. Um, how but are thank you? Thank you for today? having me. I'm I'm so excited. I've been wanting to be on this podcast for so long. I think what you're doing on this is is fantastic. Um, and we we briefly talked about how uh all the stories and um even just moments that we share with uh with cast members when we're on a contract in a dressing room or backstage. It's you know, all those fleeting moments. They just they live in a specific time and they go away. And to capture some of them on this podcast is, is something truly special. So I think what you're doing is great. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Clint is in New York City right now. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yes. I sure am. Nice. Um, yep. And uh, just go, real quick, you just talked about that. Uh, I still don't know the title of that movie either. Everything <laughs> happening everywhere all at once in my life. Um, it's my life. Uh, I agree with you. I was, I, it was like a roller coaster. I was like, I don't, what the, what is happening? I don't know what's going on. And then suddenly I, I had that same moment where I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> this is me like this yeah. or this. Well, and then the idea, the, the notion and uh, the concept of thinking that what if we could exist in other planes of a reality and just one choice sent you down this other world. I mean, honestly, as actors, we're constantly doing that, right? And oh, yeah. that's what was, so I understood it. It's still absolutely insane and bonkers, but I think there is a lot of truth to it. And it's, it's really fascinating. Yes, yes, thank you. <laughs> I watched you. it on a plane. So I think I was a little, I should have been somewhere a little bit more secure. <laughs> <laughs> on, I'm a little more grounded. Yes. Yeah. 
I want to know, okay, so like why, what was the inspiration behind you choosing this quote from Winston Churchill to put up as your cover photo? Yeah, you know what? I feel like, and I can say this because we're the same age, we came from a time where, uh, well, when Facebook started, it, well, you had to have a college email address, right? So like the passive rite of passage to get on Facebook was now I got accepted to a college and now I can be on Facebook. Obviously it's now open to everyone and anyone. And now it's a thing that I feel like people don't even use. I talk to people about Facebook. I'm like, oh, are you on Facebook? And they're like, you have Facebook? And I'm like, do you not? And they're like, no. Or they're like, I, yeah, but I haven't looked at it in eight years. I'm like, oh yeah. Like, yeah, me me too. I just have it to connect with family when I'm like literally using it every day. And, <laughs> um, but I didn't know that people had, that is such an ancient means of social media. To me, social media in quotes is still like a very new thing. So the fact that we have an older part of social media is crazier to me. So um, I forget what I even had up there, but I still live in a world where like cover photos or whatever our profile photo is, you know, when we were in college, I had to be significant or you tried to, you know, first of all, can I just say something though, that Facebook reminds me on the daily with these little throwback or flashback or time capsule, time hop, whatever it is. The person I was from about 2000, I'd say 2008 to 2012 Ooh, I don't know if I want to be friends with that person. They would talk about melodramatic song lyrics from like Savage Garden songs and or like Cascada, you know, Cascada, like literally <laughs> song lyrics from Cascada. I don't know. I remember that time and I wasn't going through anything, but you would read these statuses and it was if I was completely, you know, distraught and going through some significant breakup I don't it's just it's a mess um so it reminds me all the time how I was just like oh that person um but growth happens and um so going back to, to your question um I don't know I think for me uh I am a big person when I see things on Instagram or even Facebook or uh just on the internet uh I'm big on uh memes with inspirational quotes and you know things that people post and when i see something that resonates for me i always post it in my story or put it on my profile or just pass it along because i i know for a fact i'm not the only one having those thoughts and feelings and i feel like someone else could stumble upon this as well and that one for me was general enough but also specific that was like this is how i feel right now in my life that um, I've spent a, a big portion of my life uh, growing up and even in my early adulthood tr uh, trying to be perfect. And I am a perfectionist to a fault, but you can be a perfectionist in what you do in your field and not and still understand that you are not going to be perfect because no one is not nothing is. And um and I've really have, that's the biggest part of my life that I've grown in is understanding that and giving myself grace and freedom from those uh, constraints of trying to be perfect. And uh, so that, that quote really spoke to me. I have no ties to Winston Churchill, great man, but uh, it was, it was the quote itself. Cause I think that is a success, how we react, how we respond and never giving up. I've always told people, and we'll get into the, the journey of this industry, but I always tell people, um, I think the only way I'm going to make it in this field is the fact is persistence that everyone else is going to give up or die off and I'm still going to be here Yeah, and I'll finally yeah. make it. And, yeah. like, and, and you're just going to still keep showing up <laughs> for sure. I'm like a cockroach, <laughs> but why not? <laughs> Uh, but that's where that came from. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. And also, um, I feel like you can be, I don't know, like success and failure. There's such hard word. Like, what does that even mean? You know, like, what does well, it mean if you failed? What does it mean if you're successful? Like, it's like, so, do right? like you can fail and also be successful. Yes. You can be, uh. like, it's, it's like the duality you know, you at, at the same time, like you can be um, afraid and also brave at the same time. Yep. And I think you're so right. And I think we grow up, at least our country's school system is 
founded on those two words being definitive words. Success is this. It's the end of something that you reach. And failure is this, meaning you didn't reach it. Obviously, those are the definitions of those words. But you're so right, right? Yeah. There are successes in failures. There's failures in successes. Yeah. And, and I and that's what I honestly, I was such a an academic person in uh, grade school and in high school. And uh, that's what I struggled with a lot going to college, especially for uh, for acting, you know, in our, for a liberal arts degree is I never looking back now, I would love to go to college in the person I am now, because I think I would have allowed myself to fail far more frequently and not have to worry about the grade. And what do I have to do in order to get that grade? Mm -hmm. Because our, everything in our industry is so subjective and I wasn't allowing myself to find those own tools that worked for me as an actor. I was constantly doing what I thought I needed to get the A, to get the good grade. Um, I'm not saying that one shouldn't do good in school, but for my experience, I think I should have allowed myself to just kind of explore and fail a little bit more. Oh yeah, right. Um, fair warning. So we have a cat and she is a very, this is like sidebar here. I just realized, so we haven't, we just got her this automatic, um, like feeder, like cat feeder because, well, because we were gone, we went on this crazy, like three week road trip and people would come and check on her, but they couldn't, you know, be here like all hours of the day, like every day. So we got this automatic feed cat food feeder that like will spit out some cat food like at certain times of the day and I'm pretty sure it's it's gonna go off like any minute now so if <laughs> but is it like a foghorn are you worried about the sound of it or does she go crazy for it and she's gonna be like a cat she like runs across the oh. house and like it's really <laughs> she loves to eat she is a cat oh. who like loves her food so she is so if you hear like and you can it's like a voice recorder so we can record our voices on it it's funny. It's I know. I was, I was wondering if it was a video thing. Those things are a little. I mean, I get it. They're a little creepy. No. So if you hear some strange like sounds in the background, you know, like whistles or you know, like whoo, like Mima, like cat food, and like that's just no. It, it's it. Do you hear it? No. No. I. Hear, I no. hear her running down the stairs. Oh, that's funny. Okay. So if you hear some like chomping and. and there, there it goes again. Here's some chomping and some meowing in the background. That's, it's just our cat eating. I love it. She's lying. It's actually me. I'm, I'm, I'm doing research for my next contract. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. That'd be so great. Yeah, All right. Like sitting here in full cat costume. Like <laughs> I'd be like, you do you, you know, I tell people you show up to this podcast, however you want to. Yep. Yeah, full cat. Great, let's do it. You know, let's hit record. Oh my uh, so, like, Clint, where where are you from? You know, like, where did you, where where did you spend your childhood, and like, how did you get into the arts? And do you remember, like, what was the first show that you ever did? Yeah, so I grew up outside of Reading, Pennsylvania, which is about an hour south. Uh, sorry, I that was a lie. I always say Philly Southwest. So um, <laughs> I grew up outside of Reading, Pennsylvania, which is about an hour northwest of Philadelphia mm -hmm. uh, in Pennsylvania. And um, and yeah, so I I started. I was performing it from a very young age, but in my living room. Um, my mom grew up as a dancer, but she always said that I definitely took it to a, a far more greater degree than she ever did just for opportunities and things, you know, growing up. Mm -hmm. um, but I was, it was in my blood. It was very obvious. And I uh, was choreographing to commercial songs and TV shows. I'll never forget. Um, and my mom talks about it to this day. Uh, I love, I choreographed an entire dance to the opening song of ER, the show ER. I don't know if you remember it. <laughs> yeah. And it was so dramatic. And also this is a time when like those like nineties TV shows had significant, not only dramatic, but like full on long opening credits. Like you don't really have that now. They're so mm -hmm. fast. Yeah. 12 seconds and they're on to the first commercial. Um, so it was like a moment 
And I uh, I choreographed this very interpretive dance to this to the ER opening credits song. And every Thursday night when it came on at 10 o'clock before I went to bed, I made sure like my mom would let me stay up for the credits of ER and I would do this performative dance. And it was like going through a jungle and it was it was great. I would love to know what that was now. It was never recorded. But um, <laughs> here's the thing. I actually I grew up. Uh, I'm the only person in my family in the arts or pursuing it professionally. But my I grew up in a family that re- created performance videos, lip syncing videos. Uh, so I was doing that a lot with my family. Uh they called it the Rumsco family jamboree and there's my parents were doing it before they had me and my brother. So they continued it with us. We were kind of born into that. Um, and it was just something that I loved. I absolutely loved. And, uh, so then I auditioned for my first musical. We had, uh, when I was in middle school, our middle school, uh, I think really only started musicals right when I got to middle school. So it was sixth grade. It was in my first show. It was Fiddler on the Roof Jr. Mm-hmm. I played the rabbi and I had one line. I still remember it to this day. We'll have to wait for him someplace else. Meanwhile, let's start packing. However, I had just started my uh, whole teeth regimen to get braces. So I had um, like spacers in my teeth and like a permanent retainer. So I had a lisp. So it came, it was like, we'll have to wait for him someplace else. Meanwhile, let's start packing. <laughs> yep. Great. And um there's another story to Fiddler, but I want to give you that answer when we get to another question. Um, and uh, yeah, and then so I started doing the shows. I was Daddy Warbucks the following year in Annie my in seventh grade. Um, I demanded and decided to shave my head. They wanted to use a bald cap. And I said, absolutely not. If I'm playing Daddy Warbucks, I am shaving my head. So they let me do it. And um, I will say I got a lot of uh, you know, some negative feedback from kids. Kids are not nice, can be not nice, you know. And uh, I'm so happy I honestly did not grow up in middle school and high school with social media because I can't even imagine how it is nowadays. Um, but it never deterred me from doing what I wanted to do and for just proving them wrong in every aspect of my life. So it just made me a stronger person. Um, but yeah, so I shaved my head and my poor mother had to re- keep reshaving it before every performance because it would get like stubbly. And of course, that was not good enough for me. Remember trying to be a perfect child and no stubble for Daddy Warbucks. Not that you, like, you could see it. And um, yep. And then I uh, yeah, then I did all the shows and musicals in high school. Uh, I also grew up as a visual artist, um, visual art and painting. My mom was an artist. My mother, my mother basically had herself when she gave birth to me down to us looking like each other. Um, uh, my father is, I should talk about my father because I'm gonna keep talking about my mother, but, um, uh, he's extremely supportive and he, uh, is one of my biggest fans and he, uh, I have get a lot from him, but he like, and my brother are the same person and me and my mom are the same person. And, um, uh, but she was a visual artist. And so, uh, I grew up an artist as well. And when it came time to go to school, go to college, um, all my art teachers, I was an art major in high school and, um, they were really pushing me to go to school for art, for painting. And, uh, I remember sitting down and thinking to myself, which way I wanted to go because they both fulfilled me in so in two completely different ways. And I thought about myself sitting in an art studio for eight hours and immediately found myself thinking about what the musical theater students were doing. And I was like, that's how I know, you know? And mm-hmm. um, I think both are lifelong careers, but I, I'm so glad I never went to school for visual art because I do now still have something that is just mine. And I never had to do for a grade or had to do for a job and all the stressors that come with that. It is truly still an outlet for me, which I'm really happy about. Um yeah. And then so I, so I went off, I went to uh, Ithaca College, I got my BFA in acting with a minor in dance. And then uh, knock on wood, literally right after graduating from that, I started working professionally. And uh, I will say I'm very grateful that I've been working rather consistently ever since. Um, but I work my butt off to achieve that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm very proud of that. Uh, and yeah. So I don't know how much more of the journey you want to hear. Um, yeah, you know, it's it's um it's a lot of hard work. I think when people come to see the show, you know, they they see the finished product or they see something mm-hmm. like 
they don't see all the years and years and years of training and all the hours and hours and hours of rehearsal and all the times that you get it wrong and you mess up your lines and you fall on your face or all the auditions that you go to all of the rejection all of the yeah all of the classes like a lot of time a lot of hard work yeah they only see the tip of the iceberg right or they'll you know especially like celebrities are like i've never heard of this person oh they're a celebrity overnight they're in a show they have no idea for the past 30 years They've been working their life away just to, and that they've achieved, they have had success, but in a mainstream level, in a household name, no, but that doesn't mean that they're not legitimately still successful. Um, But you're so right. And especially in a, in a time right now where self tapes have become the new norm for auditions and for shows, I'm able to share a lot of my stuff with my parents. So whenever I get together with them, you know, I just catch them up on all my self tapes and I mean, I talk about things that my parents are like, I well, I didn't know you did that or I didn't know you auditioned for that. It's impo- It would be impossible for me to tell them everything. I'm just like, and I used to, but it's just, and I'm grateful to have that amount of auditions to go to, but it'd just be insane because you're right. You know, yeah. and everything I'm showing them, it's not like I booked, right? I'm like, oh, I didn't show you this self-tape I did. And they're like, oh, but you didn't talk about this. And I'm like, well, I didn't book it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> You're like, I didn't get it. <laughs> Because I didn't get it. I tell you about the ones I do get. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. What like what do you what are some of the things that you have really struggled with over the years? Yeah. Um, well, gosh, I, I have a list for you. Um, first of all, I think just in general, this kind of goes back to being a perfectionist. I finally admitted to myself uh out loud last spring, I said the words, I'm a workaholic. And until I said that, I I wasn't able to fully grasp uh, how to not fix, but how to adjust my life. And then I spent a couple months, and I, I do think I'm not the only one that feels that way. I feel this industry, or at least we're taught, especially going through college, that what what the, the struggle with it, what I meant with being a workaholic is feeling like I constantly have to be ready. I constantly have to be on. I constantly, I can't get sick. I can't take a day off. I can't go on vacation. I have to be ready because what if, what if that one audition is the audition? What if that day the window opened and I wasn't ready, right? Because windows open, you just got to be ready for them. And they don't, they don't open for very long. Right. And that, that was terrifying to me. And that's not a way to live. And I lived so many years of my twenties that way. Um, and feeling like I wasn't present in life. I just was worried about going from job to job to job and thinking, well, is this the one, is this the one? And you weren't allowing yourself to be a human. Right. So I love what I do. So it wasn't about finding a a work-life balance because my life is my work. And I love that. It was more about finding a work-rest balance and taking personal time away from that actual industry work. Um, Because I found I didn't have anything else in life. You know, I didn't have another hobby. I was just, everything I was consumed by was taking class, doing this and doing that. Yeah, I had a day off, but I was taking a class and working on sides. And Mm -hmm. and you're like- people ask for like, I don't literally got to a point of like, I don't even know what to buy you for a Christmas present because like, what are your other interests? And I'm like, well, I paint. And they're like, well, you haven't painted in years. And you're like, oh, okay, you're right. (laughs) So, you know, and pandemic, honestly, as a blessing in disguise kind of really helped because I was able to get back to those other passions that I had and realize they are just as important for the soul and fulfilling your life in other ways and not just the work. So that really helped. Um, for a long time, I equated happiness to jobs and I've, I've, that's still a struggle for me, but I've learned to really overcome that and understand happiness on the journey. Um, I think the biggest one for me though, was, uh, because of the culture and society we live in and social media doesn't help. We are kind of, it's in our face every day where you should be at a certain age and as an actor, if you don't have, God forbid, like if you don't have a sitcom or a Broadway show by 25, you might as well forget it. And you're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> so, and that's something I still struggle with really on the daily and understanding that everyone has their own path and that I am still very young and that this is a, I want to make this a lifelong career and that 
it happens at different times for everyone and just to enjoy the ride and focus on doing good work. That's where I'm at. I've gotten to a point in my experience and in my age that I just focus on doing good work every time, every audition. And as long as I'm happy with the work, that's all that matters to me, whether it leads to a job or not, because I, I don't have control over that. Mm -mm. I really don't. No, so, uh, that's right. right. I'm no, not saying it, I feel that way every day, but I've reached that point. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, I I think it it that is something that takes a lot of time and a lot of practice and a lot of patience to to come to that point in your life, because that is really relatable to me. Because I would say all throughout my 20s, I was exactly the same way. I felt like I was married to my job. Everything revolved around my job and auditioning and getting jobs and making sure I was doing theater all year long and, and uh, being ready and staying ready and on your date, like you have to go to the gym every single day and you have to do something career related every single day. And I'm like, wow, this is obsessive and excessive. And I'm like, when do you get to take a break? When do you get to go on a real vacation? Yep. Yep. And be like a real human being. Yeah. Yeah. And I was and I was like, I came to a point. Um, and honestly, it was like early 30s. It was right before I found out I was pregnant. I was like, I don't want to be married to my career anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I've done it. You know, like I don't, I don't want, I'm like, I want to do something. It's time for something else. Like I I felt a big shift like within me. You know, and, and, I'm, and mean I that you don't care as much about it. Right. It's just and I think that's something else I struggle with is if I felt like I was letting myself down or letting go of something that I what that I failed. There's that word again. Right. And mm -hmm. it's like, no, just because you, you, it's like I wasn't allowing myself. And I don't know if you felt this way. I wasn't allowing myself to be a human who is growing and evolving. I was like I was no, but I was supposed to be this person. I've worked my whole life to be this person. I can't walk away from that, but it's that realization of like, but things change and that's okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, and speaking of change, my next question was actually going to be about the theater world and like, how do you want to see the theater world change? Yeah. Well, I think, obviously I think it's so important how the industry has, it's, has really, um, really embraced inclusivity um, and and bringing different voices to the table and seeing different stories on stage from different communities um, across the board, which I think is amazing because it makes it far more accessible to um, a wider range of audiences. Um, two things that come to mind when you ask that question. First of all, I'm, I will say it. I think me living in New York, I think ticket prices are absolutely ridiculous. And I think it, I think, in major cities, theater has become elitist. Mm. And that's not what theater is or should be. And yes, there are some opportunities to still, you know, get uh, discounted tickets, but they're not, uh, they're still, you have to wake up at 6 a.m. to go wait in the line and, you know, and you're spending thousands of dollars to see Hamilton, which, great. Yeah. And yeah, it is worth that. Sure. But, who are you targeting then? That's my big question to theater. It's like, who now, who's your audience now? Because it never was that. Yeah. And, um, but uh, as far as change in the, in the industry, um, I think how people are being treated and I get, I know that's another big conversation that is happening within the industry, but that has to stop. That has to happen. That needs to start internally so um i do direct a lot and i've i mean just me as a person but i make a point to make sure that those things are changing internally when i'm working on a show creating an environment that everyone in that space whether you're a cast member a part of stage management team a, a tech crew person um feels respected feels heard feels seen um embracing and respecting pronoun shifts uh um and also just not bringing any toxic energy into the room 
I have also reached a point in my career that, yes, of course, I still have dream shows and dream theaters I want to work with and at, but I'm, I'm more interested in working with good people before anything else, because not only does that make or break a contract, but that is, that is, that's the reason why I do theater. Who wants to go into a job and just be put down and yelled at and criticized? And so that kind of toxic and borderline abusive behavior that I know has been brought up a lot in our industry, it has to start from within. And if we don't take responsibility, even at the small levels in which I you know, work as a director and choreographer, um, hopefully we can spread those seeds of change as we keep working. 100%. One one million percent, truly. Um, yeah, because I know like you and I both have just we've both seen a lot of shit over the years. Oh, yes. Oh, oh, yes. <laughs> a yes, lot yes. of crazy shit. Oh, yes. So, oh, yes. So, oh, yes. So, oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> hey, we did that show together. <laughs> sure did. We both reached for the gun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Well, I think it comes down to what I like to call effective leadership everything you just said, oh yeah yep it, you know is are signs of being a great leader and so yep. like what what do you think our, our leaders need to do like how can we lead I just think we in general we just need better people in charge of things yes 100% I think hmm well first of all so in my time as a director I, I've truly understood, and this is just kind of me as a person, uh, but people don't realize how much of an emotional leader members of the creative team are for actors, right? Not only, are they, not only do they run the room and they need to be the captain of the ship for the whole show, but emotionally. So if something comes up, I mean, we both have been in a room where a creative team member just completely spins out of control, right? In the middle of a rehearsal or finds out information about a set piece not working or a costume changing and they just lose it. Yeah. And that for me, that shows that's disconcerting as an actor. Cause you're like, Whoa, what is happening? But then here also, even if I had nothing to complain about as an actor, seeing a director do that now, I feel I should have something to be upset about. Well, because they're upset. So now I should be upset and I'm going to complain about this too. And mm-hmm. you know, it's domino effect. So yeah. to really maintain an even keeled level head as a leader in our industry is super important. Yes, of course, tensions are going to rise. Let's be honest. It's, it's, we're putting up, we're doing the impossible with no time, no money, right? And we're human beings, things are going to happen. But just to keep it in check and recognize that, why add fuel to the fire? I, I've, I've, for the past 10 years now, I've really have lived by not placing blame, just finding a solution. Why are we blaming things? Why are we blaming people? We can't, we just move forward to the solution, right? Yeah. And um, and not everyone works that way and I wish they would. Right. Um. But yeah, as effective leaders, I think just just really creating safe and nurturing environments and uh, allowing people to feel like they can come to you, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I recently, I was, I just finished directing and choreographing a show and uh, there was a uh, uh, there was a little bit of well, the song. Okay, it was "Escape to Margaritaville," and uh, it was I don't uh, let's get drunk and screw. So you can imagine, like the choreography was very intimate, and and of course, you know, I um, I have some int- intimacy coordinating training, so mm-hmm. obviously I I went through that with everyone because I think that's also important too. Gone are the days where, you know, directors are like, "Are you two okay kissing?" Okay, great. No, the conversation needs to happen. A vocabulary has to be put in place to view every single intimate interaction as a gesture that has a beginning, a middle and an end. And to make Mm -hmm. sure that everyone is aware of that. Um, But I had one cast member come to me uh, afterwards saying that she felt uncomfortable with uh, doing whatever movement I had given her with her, her dance partner. Mm -hmm. Great. Okay. So wait, okay. So what I'm going to be like, no, you have to do it, right? Like, 
that's my vision and I need to see that move or it won't be a success. No, I'm not precious. Yeah, of course, there are things I want to see, but I'm not precious about anything. Yeah. I've always I've always been with this train of thought of the, the best idea in the room wins, whether it comes from me, whether it comes from my stage manager, whether it comes from the rehearsal pianist, whether it comes from an actor, whatever's funniest, whatever is the the, the strongest choice wins. And if someone feels uncomfortable, great, we change it. It's as yeah. simple as that. Like, and some people also don't work that way. They are so married to that one choice, but that's not our job. Our job is to literally tell the same story effectively with in another way. <laughs> you know right. I mean? like, yeah, exactly. And I feel like there's so many different um modifications you can make or like, let's try it this way, or let's do this, yeah, or what about, let, like, I feel like it shows such a lack of creativity and flexibility when a leadership team is just like, nope, that's just, you have to do it that way, because I told you to do it that way, and that's my vision, and that's what you need to do, and if you're not going to do it, then you're being difficult. <gasps> uh, yes, when in reality, they're literally being a human being. Yeah. Now, we all know difficult people, and that is a different kind of difficult. When we're like, okay, you are being difficult for the sake of being difficult. That's a very different story. But when you're bringing up concern of like, I literally as a person don't feel comfortable with this, or I have a question about this, yes, 100%. So I think also communication, clean, concise, effective communication amongst yeah. all departments and with your actors. I start every day saying, all right, this is what the game plan is for today. This is the goal to get through this. They all know exactly where my head is at. So no one is wondering, what are we doing next? What are we doing here, right? They know yeah. what the day's agenda is, right? Um, yeah, I think it's really, really important. Yeah. Like why, so you have dedicated, it is very clear that you have dedicated your life to this. Like you have spent a lot of time creating, you know, whether it's creating characters or creating environments or um, creating stories to tell or creating movement or dance or, um, you know, like, I think you're a, a creator, you know, like you like, cre cre you're very creative and you love creating things. And I am too, like, I love, it's fun and exciting and thrilling. And um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, it, it's fulfilling, fulfilling. That's the word I'm looking for. Like, why, why do you think that you have chosen to do this as, as long as you have? What, what is your, like at the core of your being, why do you keep showing up? Why do you keep going to auditions? Why do you keep working on your craft? Um, I, yeah, I, you know, it's so funny. I, I gosh, I go so many different ways in this, in this answer. Um, I think the real, for me, sorry, that was a ding. You probably heard that. Um, I just got a message. Sorry, I forgot to turn that off. Um, okay. I mean, like the cat feeder just went off like 20 minutes. I mean, fair enough, fair enough. Um, I love, I've always loved human connection, human interaction, feeding off energies, whether that's on stage as an actor or with, with each other or with the audience. So for me, the idea that theater exists in a in a moment in time, right, that you can't get back, it is truly representative of the fragility of life itself. Mm. And it's this living, breathing organism that no matter if you're doing Hamilton or Cats, a thousand shows, right? Every, it's impossible for each show to be the same. So to be a part of something that is so fleeting, um, I'm also very intrigued with that as an artist with art installations. And that's how I view theater when I direct and I create it. It's, it's really an art installation. And I'm uh, thinking about the environment itself and the, the fact that we as an audience and everyone is sharing this moment together has always really been a great interest of mine. Um, and honestly, I just, I constantly live life cinematically like I go through life and the, my thoughts and the way I view life and interactions and friendships and relationships are very dramatized in my head. So I think uh, to be able to have an outlet to put that, to see that come to life, first of all, to see that come to life is the most fulfilling thing 
I've ever experienced, right? Something's living in your head for so long and then you see it the exact same way that you mapped it out. And it's it's incredible that you were able to create that. Um, and it is it, it can be sad that it is so fleeting and that it's gone so quick. But um, I think the other, it's so interesting. When, when other people get asked this question, they always talk about like, because I have something to say, this is what I want to say. This is, you know, and I've thought about that and I, I, and I'm not ashamed to say it. I I don't think that is part of my why, at least for right now, I don't feel I have something specific to say. Of course, there are stories that I'm drawn to and characters I'm drawn to. And perhaps those uh, subject matters are part of my why, um, but I, what I, what I will say to that is the, all the shows that I have directed so far, it's interesting when I walk away from it, it is definitely a Clint Rumsko show. And I'm starting to really understand what my voice is. Now, I don't know what it necessarily is rooted in or what it says, but I, I, there is, there is a mark. I, I feel I can put, do a through line through all my shows that I've directed that, is definitely a, a, like a Clint show um, that I can see. Um, final answer for why is that, well, theater saves lives. Yeah. It does in big ways. And I got to really fully experience that. I worked uh, at Ogunquit Playhouse up in Maine as their associate education director for the entire 2021 season. And I got to really work daily with their Arts Academy. I really created and a lot of the programming uh, for the Arts Academy. And I was the director and choreographer for all their main stage shows. And during that time, our, our students aged from 12 years old to 18 years old. And fascinating. Also a very different uh, generation than you and I grew up in. These kids are exploring pronouns at a very young age. And uh, they were creating, we created a space where they felt like they could, even if they weren't exploring these different pronouns in school or at home, they definitely were trying them out in this studio in the rehearsal process. And we had one student who, um, this was also coming out of COVID, so we were all still very masked and then mandates kind of changed. And it was incredible to watch this one person who started this three-week rehearsal process completely closed off behind mask. And um, they started the the pro the program going by she her pronouns, and then they were exploring they them pronouns. And uh, the second week, um, the mask would come off for a little bit during the day, and then go back on. By the third week, the mask was completely off. I mean, literally a visualization of shedding one's skin and allowing yourself to be open and vulnerable. It was incredible to watch yeah. and like coming out of your shell. And then uh, we were doing uh, uh, Frozen and uh, this person was uh, the butler and uh, the costume department had put this track in traditional male presenting butler costume. And during tech, I went down to this student and I said, how are you doing? Are you okay with everything? And they looked at me and they were starting to cry and they said, uh, I feel like a proper man in this costume. And they were just thrilled. They finally felt like they were in the proper skin. Yeah. And I got really emotional and I was like, this is why we do what we do, right? Because this person found a, a space, a community of people who embrace them no matter what they are, whether it is changing, you know, you know, and they're still figuring things out. So um, yeah. It saves lives. It really does. Absolutely. Well, I just think, I mean, really, like, what are we? We're we're storytellers. So, Absolutely. you know, we're telling these stories and, and why do we tell them? Like, what is what is the point? What is the purpose here? Like, why? It really it really does come back to why. And I think that it really is to help people out there in the world to know that they're not alone. Yep. Whatever you might be going through, and it can be anything, really. It could be something really hard. It could be something really joyous. It can be something confusing. But you watch whatever it is, a play, a musical, a movie, a TV show, a, you know, your local community theater production, your 
some production in somebody's basement like you want you whatever it is a, an outdoor theater show and and you're like oh wow you know exactly it's the human condition and and it's connecting us all and it's so vital and it's so important um yeah you're right I mean I can't tell you how many times um just the art form of of theater in many shapes and forms I, I feel like has saved my life and, Absolutely. and, and it, it just it gives you hope to yes. to keep to keep going and to keep trying again and I think there's also a primal need with all humans to leave something behind and not be forgotten and I think what we do is really speaks to that feeling like we're making a mark and we're leaving something behind by creating and by um by by opening ourselves up and being extremely vulnerable yeah so I have a question for you because before, like I obviously like we met and we were um, both two actors in a show. I think the first show that we did together was Shrek the Musical. And I, did. I was one of the three pigs. Yes, you were the, one of the three little pigs and I played Humpty Dumpty. <laughs> oh my God, I forgot about that. That costume, Sarah. Oh and, my God. I'm pretty sure I got it. I think one of my favorite photos of us is of you in your pig costume and yep. me in my like Humpty Dumpty egg costume. And we called it bacon and eggs. <laughs> That's right. That is right. I completely forgot about that. That's really funny. Yeah, I, I we got to find it. Bacon and eggs. That's <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure Time Pop will bring it up. Yeah. And so, and then we did a whole bunch of other shows together that summer. Um, yeah. And then I knew, and then, so you were mostly, I think predominantly as an actor. And then recently you've been directing and choreographing a lot more yes. um, over the past couple of years. And then I want to know about your um, like puppeteering experience, like how you got into that. And cause I, I don't know. Um, I like, I don't think, I didn't think I even really knew that you were a puppeteer until we started recording this podcast episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I had a I had very minimal experience with puppeteer work from my very first contract out of college. It was a big uh, national tour with Nickelodeon. Um, it's called Storytime Live, and they had put four of their animated shows together. Um, so I had a little bit of puppetry experience from that, and and that was it. I always I uh, my whole training is very movement based as an actor and viewpoints and lob on energy efforts and um, rasa boxes. So it, it's really grounded in honestly, everything that you would do in uh, approaching puppetry. And so over pandemic, I was fortunate enough to be a part of uh, really at, at, at one point, the only live show that was happening in New York City. It was called Voyeur, the Windows of Toulouse Trek, And it was a site-specific immersive experience in the, in the, uh, in the West Village. Uh, it was, it, it, um, through vignettes and dance and puppetry and viewpoints, uh, it told the story of Henri de Toulouse-Lautrec, the artist that designed all the uh, Moulin Rouge posters. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the audience members would walk through the streets and all the the scenes would take place in storefront windows, apartment windows. It was it was really quite cool. But I was hired as the um, the opening male dancer and also the the lead puppeteer at the top of the show at the first uh, spot. And uh, so I really kind of just learned a lot on my own from all of my movement work. And I fell in love with it, like in a huge way. And I was using a, a Bunraku style puppet, which has a rod out the back of the head and has a stick for the hands. Um, it was a full body puppet mm -hmm. and so not a mouth puppet, not like Avenue Q. Right. And, um, and then from that, uh, one of my castmates actually was, uh, uh, who actually was a roommate of John Tartaglias from Avenue Q. That's a different story. But, uh, he was involved with this woman in Carrie Robbins. She's a two-time Tony award nominee, uh, costume designer, uh, she designed the original looks for Grease, the musical, like all those iconic looks came from her head, which is crazy to me. Um, and she he had she in her later years, uh, she has become a playwright. And uh, so he had done a couple shows with her. Well, she was currently working on a play that she had. This is why she's so inspiring to me in her, you know, 
I think she might be in her 80s. Hopefully, if she listens to this, I don't get that wrong. Um, but she decided that she wanted to learn how to sculpt puppets. So in her later years, she literally went back to school to learn how to make these puppets. And that's so inspiring to me because I hope I'm that way when I'm that old. Not that that's old, but when I get older, um, to constantly keep bettering yourself and learning new things that you're not done. I'm not done yet, yeah. you know? And uh, so she created this, she wrote this play called For the Lost Children of Paris. And um, it's about the uh, deportation, if you will, of Jewish children out of Paris during the war that uh, people really don't aren't aware of because we don't talk about how it affected Paris. Uh, but these children were literally taken from their classrooms. And uh, it's all done. The children are brought to life through life-size, lifelike puppets in the same Bunraku style. So anyway, so she was looking for someone as a puppet director to help workshop this new piece. And so he made a connection and I said, well, you know, I can just be honest with her with my work. You know, she can say no. And we hit it off and we became a great team. And so since 20, well, since fall of like 2020 and eh, maybe spring of 2021 i've been working with her on this piece and it's still uh very much in development it's been about two years now we've had some funding here and there we ended up making a movie to send to backers um so i'm the puppet director currently also the director on it but it was uh selected to represent the the usa at the prague quadrennial international theater and design festival in prague so the puppets were sent there. And so we have that wonderful credit, which is great. And um, so then I just really started exploring puppetry and I, I really fell into it and I loved it. And I, I was working with it weekly with this workshopping of this show and her connections. I mean, her stories about, I mean, the golden age of Broadway, I mean, it's just incredible. Uh, and then I ended up booking uh, Avenue Q at a theater in New Jersey. I played Princeton and Rod. So again, I got to work with Rick Lyon, who was one of the original cast members and also original creator and builder of the original Avenue Q puppets. He came in for a week and gave us a week-long masterclass on puppetry, which was invaluable. It was unbelievable. He's such a great man. So learned a lot from him. And then... Uh, yeah, so I did Avenue Q, and then I, I, I kind of talked about uh, recently, uh, before it closed, I was brought in for an invited work session for a replacement puppeteer in uh, Life of Pi on Broadway. Um, sadly, they closed early, so none of the replacements ended up actually going in, but fingers crossed for the tour. We'll see. Um, but yeah, it's yeah. a huge part of my life now, and I absolutely love it. I absolutely love it. Yeah. I'm like, I'm, I'm just like, I'm in such awe over here by all of us. Like, of course you are perfect for this because you are like, you move so well. And like, especially like when you create a character, you are so movement based and also you're a, an incredible dancer, you know, phenomenal dancer. And so, um, yeah, I mean, you were our, our dance captain when we did Chicago and like truly- <laughs> you like <laughs> saved that show because half the time, none of us, the, the choreography changed daily. It sure did. And it half sure the time did. we didn't know what it was, but you knew what it was. I did. Yep. That, that script, the amount of erasures. I mean, that thing was just full of eraser crumbs. <laughs> You're so right. It's so funny. I haven't been gone back there. Other people have literally said the exact same thing. They're like, Clint, you, you saved that. Clint, show. you saved Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god it was changing daily wasn't it oh my gosh oh yeah it changed daily um and I well I mean and Darren Lee who is our is just like it I mean I've never seen anyone in my like move his body oh. the way that he moves his body he has no like, bones he is water it's it's incredible like it is. It is, he's incredible so half the time he would like demonstrate like oh you're supposed to look like this and I'm like I don't look like that I'm like I don't even know how to do that I'm like how do Oh, my How body does he moving his body like that? Like, <laughs> I know. And everyone works differently. And then he's wonderful. And he's a great choreographer. Mm -hmm. But when you're so stylized like that, it's hard. He wasn't using counts. Right. And, yeah. so, and when, you, when you're working with uh, a, a company of actors who were cast for an entire season, yeah. it doesn't mean that everyone in that show is a dancer dancer. Right. So right. it's a, you need to. Yeah, it was it was a wonderful challenge. 
Thor. <laughs> sure. sure. Um, I always, our sort of like parting question is always like, do you have a favorite theater memory or story that you would like to leave our listeners with today? Yes, I do. It's probably not going to be as inspirational as you think it might be from that, for the way your tone of that question was, but okay. Two that stand out to me. So this goes back to Fiddler on the Roof. My very first show, I played the rabbi and I wore a yarmulke and uh, because I was 12 uh, during rehearsals before going out for the Sabbath prayer, I would always hug uh, my best friend at the time. Her name was Julie cries, which I love because her name was a full sentence. And, um, (laughs) and uh, we always give each other a good luck hug and they let us use real candles. First of all, sixth grade. No. So we always did it. Okay. Night of the show comes. And we got, we lit our candles and I was like, Julie, we forgot to give our, get our, give our good luck hug. And our candles were already lit. I said, okay, I'll hold, I'll watch my candle. If you watch yours, it didn't watch your candle. And all of a sudden, before I know it, I'm being hit to the ground because my yarmulke lit up while it was on my head and I had gray hairspray in so that was extremely flammable I literally being knocked to the ground and I was like what happened they're like your head lit up and it's so but then I have to go on I'm like man then then bless you then right so thank god I didn't go out with a flaming head right my poor mother is sitting there just like my stage debut and I'm just flaming like Hades from Hercules <laughs> and but my mom asked to keep the yarmulke afterwards and there's still a scorch mark on it so of course we have it in the bag and it's dated um crazy the other wonderful weird very cool moment that i i always tell people is when i was on that first tour with nickelodeon uh, we were playing the orpheum in memphis tennessee and during that show i i had the aerial track i also have uh aerial flight training so i was in a a, almost a full flight track because i played every monkey that nickelodeon (laughs) ever created and um and so i had a flight call every day before the show. And I was there earlier before any of the cast. So it was me, the crew and the stage manager in this empty house. And we were doing the flight call. And I remember going up onto the house for the first flight. And uh, there was this little girl, she was giggling in the audience. She's like, like laughing, like definitely full on little girl. So they were like, uh, they're like, wait, wait, stop, stop, stop. And they were like, clink it off stage, it off stage. Cause I, because they, assumed there a little girl had snuck into the theater and they didn't want to like ruin the magic for her right right so i i went off stage in my harness and everything and my stage manager was like excuse me they're like sorry the house isn't open yet you know uh, you know um, we're gonna have to ask you to leave please and we couldn't find her she was like going through the aisles whatever and so then we didn't hear it anymore so then uh we went back into the flight and then she did she started laughing and then she started running through the like we heard her running and laughing and stage management halted everything again they're like excuse me please leave the house isn't open and they're trying to like find a house manager just that happened three times and sarah i distinctly heard it like i know there was a little girl there so that night at the show i'm talking to my dresser i was like the strangest thing happened today i was like there was a little girl in the audience in the house when i was doing my flight call and i was explaining to her she goes oh that was mary and i said who's mary and she was like, she's our, our ghost. And I start to hear this whole incredible story about Mary. It is a very true story. In 1923, uh, she was hit by a car in front of the theater, was taken into the theater where she died. She was 12 years old. She has haunted the theater ever since. And all of the big touring companies, you talk to actors from the 70s onwards, they have incredible stories of seeing her sitting, she likes her seat C4 is always left open for her and she can always be seen sitting there and she loves when the children's shows come through. And she goes, no, she goes, I know for a fact that was Mary and she was laughing and running through the aisles. So whether one believes in it or not, I know I heard a real child there. It was crazy that I got to experience that. It was very cool. Wow. Do you, well, and it wasn't just you. It was like the other people who heard it as oh. well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, that's true. You're right. Yes. Yeah. It was like there It wasn't just you, you know, hearing laughter. It was like other people <laughs> right. as, as well. Hearing voices. I, in my head. Yeah. I could see like if it was just you hearing things, they'd be like, okay, Clint. <laughs> right, right. But it was like you and everybody else who was there for the, for the flight call. Like, right. 
Right. Yeah. Do you do you believe in ghosts and spirits? I do. I do. I I do. I definitely think there. I definitely believe in uh something after us that coexists with us. Hmm. Whatever form that's in, like I like I you know I've whether it's in orbs or um just energy or I'm not saying I you know like a sheet and like ooh yeah but um but I have definitely I have seen enough in my life I've experienced enough just that's just one of many stories of things that I've paranormal things that I've experienced that I definitely I 100% believe yeah oh for sure yeah. Uh, yeah, I believe it too. I, I definitely believe in like spirits and and energies. And sometimes it's just it's more of a feeling. It's like something. Oh, absolutely. You, it's more of a feeling than it is like a seeing or a. You know what I mean? You just feel. Oh it. yes. Yep. And it's really hard to describe or to put into words, even sometimes. Or. Yep. Yep. Oh yeah. Or smells that all of a sudden appear. Yeah. I know. Just or a- objects right before your eyes just turning around or you know you know i love it but it's very comforting to me i've never been in a situation um where i feel threatened i mean if i have an experience i openly you might find this crazy but i openly talk out loud to whatever it may be coexisting with me and just you know saying that i'm sharing this space with them right Mm mm-hmm and uh, I think yeah. again, going back to effective communication. Exactly. <laughs> I don't. I don't think that's crazy at all. I think that's. Beautiful. They just want to know, <laughs> and then they're yeah. like, "Okay, good, thanks." Yeah. I, yeah, I think it's being considerate. <laughs> You're being considerate to the Absolutely. spirits. Absolutely. Know? Like we can both live here. I just right. want to make sure that that is said. <laughs> yeah, you're like I just want to make it clear. <laughs> We both can share this space right now. Right, right. It is it is big enough for everyone. But next month you're having to pay rent. <laughs> oh. oh boy. Oh boy. Wow. Um Clint, you are an inspiration. You really are. You you true multi-hyphenate. You? you and I just I love that you the sort of mindset that you have um and the willingness to learn new things and, and create new things and learn new crafts and, and, and just add more tools to your toolbox. I feel like you you can never have too many tools or things that you do or special skills or, yeah, you know, and I think we had a, actually, I think this would be something really, really great to end this episode on is that, um, if you're, if you want to learn something new, do it. You want to try something new do it. Go out there, oh. take, take that class, but maybe you're afraid that's okay. Do it 100%. anyway. You take every opportunity you can. And just one small story on that. When I was in college, all these, I mean, they were free to us. They would be offering these classes. I remember ZFX came in. It was a big flying company to teach a flight course. Of course, it was 9 a.m. on a Saturday. You just, all you had to do was sign up. It was a three hour masterclass. I signed up. I showed up. I was the only person. <gasps> I had a three hour private flight masterclass. And I got to tell you, Sarah, because of that one masterclass with ZFX, it lit not only got me my very first professional job with Nickelodeon because of the aerial work, but I flew in two other shows right after that national tours because they didn't have the time or money to train someone. So they needed someone who was already trained. Mm-hmm. So I always tell people, take every opportunity because you have no idea what kind of doors that's going to open to you. Just yep. having that experience and that training on your resume. Yeah, it, absolutely. Yeah, you're right. Showing up to master classes, show, like learning new skills, even like throwing yourself out there because you never know what's going to happen. Like sending that email to so and so and being yeah. like, "Hey, if you happen to need this, here's my headshot resume, real website, whatever it is. They might not need you right now or next month or next year, but you might get a call years from now and be like." Hey, I remember when you sent me that and we need you now. So. 100%. It happens all the time. Yeah. All the time. All the time. All the time. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so thank much you. for taking the time um, to just like sit down and, and chat with me. This has been such a pleasure, such a joy and delight. It's so good to see your beautiful face uh, over Zoom tonight. And Likewise. I'm just, I'm so proud of you. Um, like you're just I'm proud of you. <laughs> you're killing you. it. Thank you. <laughs> you are. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, I know how hard it, I mean, just like life is hard, you know, it is. and no one, Thank there's you. no, there's no guidebook. No one no. is going to tell you like, here's a step-by-step -step list to be successful or to get your dream or to make your dreams come true or. Yep. And I think, I think it's really important to have people in your life to remind you of your successes constantly because it's so hard to get trapped in our own bubble and we don't see what, what we actually have achieved. It's so hard just to not get that perspective. So I think it's so important. Yes. To, right. To have those people to, um, to lift you up. And, yep. and, and to encourage you to, to keep going. So, you know what, whoever you may be right now out there listening, um, if you've made it through to the end of this episode, thank you. Yeah. Bravo. <laughs> you, you made it to the end. You know, sometimes these episodes get a little lengthy, but we got a lot to talk about here. Sorry. <laughs> uh, no, that's okay. No, I think it's all valuable. It's all, it's all great, um, advice and stories. Um, but if you just need that encouragement, like to keep going, like seriously, like just keep going. If you're not where you want to be in your life right now, like it's temporary. Keep, yes. keep going, keep putting one foot in front of the other, yes. keep submitting stuff, keep talking to people, keep creating. Yep. Um, and Abby, and you taught me one thing is that everything in life is only for now. Oh, beautiful, <laughs> beautiful everything in life yep is only for now love you love you too thank you so much this has been a blast thank you